If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 17, and we're, we just finished Jonah last week, so if you're wondering, what are we doing? We've just finished Jonah, and we're starting the book of Galatians next Sunday. Uh, but today is a, a unique sermon. Uh, we're taking a short break in between series to talk about a topic that all of us experience and wrestle with, and that is the topic of suffering. And uh, this may sound obvious, but one of the most common things I experience as a pastor is the reason that most people come and maybe talk to me or somebody on our pastoral staff or deacon is that they're going through suffering. They're going through a hard time. So I hear questions all the time about this, such as, you know, Pastor Rick, why would God allow this to happen? Or Pastor Rick, why is this just happening in my life? I didn't do anything wrong. Or Pastor Rick, how can I handle this? How can I... How can I obey God and follow him? It seems like he's distant. I'm I'm crying out to him. So there are lots of questions about suffering, and I'm going to connect it today to, it may seem like a strange topic with it, the glory of God. I've also noticed, too, as a pastor, that uh, there tends to be two reactions to suffering. Uh, Suffering changes people for sure, but on the one hand, it seems like some people, they go away from God. When they go through a hard time, it's like, They drift away from God, they push back against God, and they actually grow kind of bitter towards God and just bitter towards everyone, almost like a sense of um, loneliness and pride that nobody can understand me. God can't even understand me. So there's that reaction I see, and I get it for sure. But then at the same time, I also see that people go through suffering. They experience the exact opposite. They go through suffering, and yes, it's hard. There's tears. It's difficult. They're crying out to the Lord, yet they tend to grow closer to God. They tend to get more joy in the Lord over the long haul, strangely. They tend to have a bigger impact in ministry over the long haul because God has used them in their suffering, and now they're impacting others. So I see both. Suffering has a tendency to drive people away from God and drive people to God. Interesting, isn't that? So what is the reason, what is the key that drives people to God and not away from God in suffering? What is it? What's the key? You know, it can't be that it's just suffering that does it, because some people will go through the exact same thing and experience, one will experience one thing and one the other. What it must be, I think, is that something is going on in their heart that's causing them to react in a certain way, to to filter what they're experiencing, what suffering they're going through, and to somehow take that and commit it to the Lord. So we're going to talk about that today, and we have a special interview today as well of Sue Enniger on video that we're going to get to as well. We're going to talk about suffering and suffering to the glory of God. I want to read Romans 8.28, because Sue is going to mention this in the verse. This is what my sermon's based on today. And would you read this verse out loud with me together? Let's read it together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Familiar verse, isn't it? Wonderful verse. We're going to look at three ways that we can have this kind of perspective so that we can be the kind of people that grow better towards God rather than bitter towards God amidst our suffering. So let me actually start at verse 17 on screen. Verse 17 says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And by the way, I love that part. Romans 8 is a wonderful chapter about all the blessings we have in Christ, how there's no condemnation. We are children of God, and we can cry out, Abba, Father, which is a term of intimacy. And we are also heirs. We're going to inherit a kingdom with Christ. But then look at this next part, the second part of the verse. 
if indeed we share in Christ's what? Sufferings. In order that we may also share in his what? Glory. Do you hear that? If we're children of God, Paul says, yes, we have tremendous blessings as children of God, but we're also called to share in his what? His sufferings. In order that we may share in his what? Glory. Suffering and glory are connected. Let me keep going. Verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the what? The glory that will be revealed in us. So this actually takes me to my first way. Remember, we're going to have three ways, three ways that we can actually grow better towards God and not better. The first way is we need to look forward to our future hope. If we're going to grow closer to God in our suffering, we need to look forward to our future hope. So do you hear what Paul said in verse 18? He says, you need to compare. Compare what you're presently going with. And even though it stinks, it's suffering. It's real. That's a really hard time you're going through, Paul says. But in light of the future glory, it pales in comparison. And he goes on to say this in verse 19. For the creation, so he backs up and doesn't just talk about us, but all of creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now, that's a little confusing, but I think what that means is that all, the whole created order is waiting for someday for us to be with Jesus, to have a new resurrection body, to experience the glory of God in full. All of creation is waiting for that for us. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who subjected it to frustration, by the way? Who is that? You can answer. (laughs) It's God. God did it, actually, technically. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, all of creation experienced the curse of God. So it was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, God's will, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I'll talk about that in a second. Let's keep going. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we are also groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we, wait for what we, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So the first way that we can be the kind of people that actually grow with the Lord and our suffering and glorify God, is that we need to look forward to our future hope. Don't just look at your present suffering, Paul says, but look forward to what's going to happen. And Paul talks about this in kind of confusing ways, but he talks about how creation someday is going to be restored. There's going to be no longer any tornadoes or tsunamis or lots of rain preventing you from getting in the fields and working or even just mowing the yard for crying out loud. Someday nature is going to be restored, Paul says. It's going to be glorious. And then in verse 23 there at the bottom, we're going to be part of that glory because we're going to have our full adoption to sonship. Yes, we're adopted now, but someday it's going to be full and final, Paul says. And we're going to get new bodies, the redemption of our bodies, bodies that never ache, that never have pain, that never have arthritis or get cancer. Someday our bodies are going to be glorified and renewed just like Jesus' body in a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to be with Jesus, Paul says. 
So this is our hope, Paul is saying, that someday everything that we're facing through now suffering is going to be gone. There'll be no more suffering. It's just going to be glorious. Amen? Amen. You know, I was thinking about these verses, and I know in some ways it's hard to imagine this, especially if you're going through massive suffering right now. I mean, I look out of this congregation, and I know there's some people going through some hard times. Every week when you gather, you, you look around, you may see someone singing and raising their hands, but it is a fight for life. It is a fight to stay focused on the glory of Jesus Christ. Never assume that everyone has it all together here, because we don't. We need help. The person that you're sitting next to most likely is going through a tremendously difficult time. And so we need to look forward to our future hope, Paul says. In fact, in verse 22, he gives a great image. He says, all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of what? Childbirth. And all moms said, amen. <laughs> you know, I think Paul brings up this image because when you have a, the birth of a child, the mother goes through tremendous pain. Yet at the end of all of that ordeal, that entire thing that we call labor, which it is, <laughs> At the end of all of that, you get a newborn baby to hold, which seems to help the pain and all the groaning and intensity kind of melt away, usually, I know. You know, I had the privilege of being there for the birth of all three of our children. And even though I thought it was painful to watch, my wife thought it was even more painful to go through. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> and she experienced groaning, just like many of you who have kids have experienced groaning too. But when you hold that newborn baby for the first time, oh, it's like it all was worth it. It's like the pain becomes a distant memory. And you even end up sometimes having more kids and going through it again. I mean, all because you get to endure and experience the newborn baby. You know, think of your own life. A lot of you will go through a lot of suffering because there is the promise of hope that something better is going to come out of it, right? Some of you will go to school for a very long time in the hope of getting your degree and getting a job and providing for your family and fulfilling a mission. Some of you will endure intense practices and running and going to the wellness center because in hopes that you will lose weight and, have, and be healthier and have a better future. It's, it's amazing what you can endure when you have future hope, isn't it? And as a Christian, we have the greatest hope that we're going to be with Jesus someday. We're going to get a new body. All of creation is going to be renewed. Paul says, think about that. Consider that your present suffering is not worth the glory that will be revealed in us. And then let me go to my second way, because that may sound futuristic in, in the distant future, but Paul gives us present hope as well now in the second way we can glorify God and have massive comfort. The second way, he says, is we need to look now to our present helper, and that's the Holy Spirit. Look to our present helper, the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in verses 26 and 27. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So do you hear what that's saying? Have you ever been through such a hard time in life? Maybe you're going through that now where you go to pray and it's like, I have no idea what to pray for. It's more like groaning, Ugh. cries of distress. You ever been there? Or maybe you've prayed for someone going through a really hard time, and you're just not sure what to pray for. And you know what Paul says? You know what the Bible says? 
The Bible says you have the best prayer partner ever. You have the Holy Spirit in verse 26, who's also groaning with you, identifying with you in your struggles. In your heart, the Spirit is groaning for you. And not only that, he's taking your groans and he's taking wordless groans. And he's praying those to the Father in accordance with the will of God. So if you don't know what to pray for, the Bible says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to help you when you pray. Even if it's groaning, the Spirit's going to groan with you. And he's going to translate those groans and pray them in accordance with the will of God. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit is inciting of us, knowing the will of God, praying for us, groaning with us, helping us. So if you're going through a really hard time this morning or you know someone, be assured that you have the Holy Spirit right now helping you pray. And then there's a third and final way. So not only do we look forward to our hope or look now to our present helper, but we look up to our sovereign God who is in control. And I talked a lot about the sovereignty of God last week and how it relates to our free will and responsibility. But this is finally getting to verse 28, which Sue will quote in the video. Romans 8, 28, let's read it together. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's stay right there. Look at that verse very carefully. What do we know? In some things, God works. In a few things. How many things does it say? All things. And we know that God is doing what in all things? He's doing, he's working in all things, it says. For what purpose? For the good. We'll, talk, we'll come back to that in a second. And it's not just for anyone in general. It's for those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. So God just isn't working out good for anyone in a general way. It's for those who specifically love him. That's kind of from a human point of view. We love God. But it's also from a sovereign point of view, those who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, good things, little things, big things, small things, even bad things, sinful things, God is working. What is the good that he's talking about here? Does this mean that we will never have any pain as a Christian? And the answer, of course, is what? No. Does this mean life is going to be easier as a believer? And the answer, of course, is no. In fact, it often gets harder in some ways. No, God says he works for the good of those who love him. And we see on the next verse, verse 29, what this good is. It says, for, for those God foreknew... He also predestined, don't be afraid of that word, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So do you hear what the good is that Paul's talking about here? The ultimate good for us that God is working in all things in our lives is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would be like Christ in our character and ultimately in our body someday when we're with Christ. So whatever you're going through here this morning, the ultimate purpose that God has for you, even though we don't understand why he's allowing it, the ultimate purpose he has for you in your suffering is that you and I would be conformed to the image of his son. And he uses a couple words to emphasize just how much he's got us. I know these are controversial words. He says the word foreknew, say that with me, foreknew, which means he knows this ahead of time. And it also means that he loves us 
Because when God knows somebody in Scripture, it's an intimate word, meaning I love you, I know you, I've got you. And then he uses that word predestined. Say that with me. Predestined. How many of you get confused by that word in Scripture, if you've ever seen that word before? Yes, I do too. To predestine somebody means that God chooses them ahead of time to be his child. Now, I know that's a radical concept, and I should have probably talked about it last week in my sermon, but didn't have enough time. But just know this. This is meant to be encouraging that in eternity past, God has set his love on you. He foreknew you, and then in eternity past, he predestined you ultimately through your suffering and through whatever happens to you, that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. That was God's plan. And then in verse 30, Paul even steps back even farther. He says, those God has predestined or chose beforehand, he called to himself in the gospel to receive him. Those he called, he justified, meaning that they are declared righteous in God's sight. So the moment you become a Christian, you are justified. And those he justified, he also, what? What's it say? Glorified. So we can be assured that God is working out all things for our good, which means being conformed to his son, because we can be assured that those God predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. You know, I was thinking about this stuff. I'd recommend that if you are helping somebody in suffering, that, you know, don't just pull these three points out and say, you know what, if you're suffering, well, here's what you should consider, you know. <laughs> Often when somebody's suffering, you have to just be with them. Just be present. Just love them in the moment. But at some point, if you're going through suffering, you have to stop back and consider these three things, th- these three things that our present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory, it says in way one. That we can look to the Holy Spirit to help us. That we can look up to our sovereign God who's in control. And when we do this, our suffering has a way of actually bringing glory to God. You know, I was thinking about Jesus in connection to this. Did he look forward to his future hope when he was on earth? You better believe it. In Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. He was looking forward to what God had in store for him. Or way number two, the Holy Spirit helped Jesus all throughout his ministry. Or way number three, The son trusted the father, not my will, but your will be done. In fact, if you apply Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, we can apply that to Jesus Christ. Because when he was on the cross, and one of the most senseless things that has ever happened where they killed the son of God, what seems senseless and confusing to everyone involved, including the disciples, God was working for the good of those who love him on the cross. Jesus did these three things and brought glory to God. And if you do these three things too, I believe in the long run you'll bring glory to him as well. I know that word glory is kind of a churchy word we use. But whenever whenever I talk about bringing glory to God, what I mean by this is it could be three things. Number one, glory, when we think of God, if you put all of his attributes together in one big pot, That's one idea of thinking of glory, that it's overwhelming, that it's beyond us, that it's amazing. And that's often a God we can't comprehend or trust or or understand, excuse me. So that's the first sense when we talk about the glory of God. A second sense when we talk about the glory of God and giving him glory is we want to make him number one in our life. Because in the Old Testament, when that word glory is used, it means the word heavy. So we want to give heaviness to God and importance to God. And then the third way glory is often used in the Bible is 
beauty. So in the New Testament, when Jesus is transfigured, they see the glory of God. They see the beauty of God, the magnificence of God. So this overwhelmingness when it comes to God, this God matters more than anyone else who should be number one in God's beauty. And you know what helps us really glorify God in those three ways? You know what does? It's suffering. For some reason, in most of our lives, it takes suffering for us to be overwhelmed by God's glory and realize, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you. It takes suffering to realize in that second sense that, yes, I was putting my hope in something else. I was not putting my hope in Jesus, but suffering has stripped me down so that I'm only putting my hope in Jesus Christ. Those of you who have been through suffering know what I'm talking about. And it also often takes suffering to realize that Jesus is beautiful and glorious. Even if he doesn't give me the gifts I want or the blessings I think I need or deserve, I'm going to worship Jesus anyway because he is glorious in and of himself. It takes suffering to realize that. The reason that glory and suffering are linked, if you read Philippians 2, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus laid aside his glory. If you've ever sang the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Charles Wesley, who wrote that, has a verse that says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, and born to give them second birth. You see, the reason that glory and suffering are linked is because Jesus modeled it. Jesus lost all of his glory on the cross, so to speak, so that we could have glory with him. Jesus Christ suffered. He was shut out so that we could have access to God. He was bound and nailed so that we could be free. He was cast out so that we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy us, ultimately, that is being cast away from God's love. He took all of that so that now all suffering that comes into our life, in the long run, can actually make us great with Christ. And the suffering of a person who is in Christ can turn somebody into something beautiful and gorgeous. Jesus Christ suffered, not that we would never suffer, but so that when we do suffer, we would be like him, and his sufferings led to glory. And if you suffer with this kind of perspective in mind, you will bring incredible glory to Jesus Christ. We're going to play the video here in a second. And uh, many of you know Sue Eniger, who's taught at South Adams for 40-plus years. Is that correct? And yet she told me she's still only 35, by the way. So... (laughs) But she graciously agreed to let me interview her and Nicole Dines on staff to video her and edit it because many of you know her story, how she has been battling cancer for the last year, stage four cancer. And when we interviewed her in this video, this was right before you went to surgery, if I'm not mistaken. So, this, so that now today we're after surgery, but this was right before that back in February, a cold February day. And she allowed us to interview her and talk to her how God is working in and through her life in suffering. So let's watch it and consider this. Well, hello, church family. I am here with Sue Eniger, and thank you for being here with us today and being willing to share your story. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So my first question for you, Sue, is would you mind just catching us up to speed on on what's happened this past year and where you're currently at? Well, it's been a very eventful year. Yes. (laughs) Um, Very busy and and stressful. Hmm. I would come home very tired, very stressed, yeah. um, and I just kept thinking, oh, this is, this is my life right now. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you have things come up in your life that, that um, 
are just hard to deal with sometimes. And I would just kind of take one at a time and, and think, okay, when school's over, you know, I'll have the summer to relax. And, mm -hmm. and, um, that's what every teacher says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, it just didn't go away. Yeah. I, I went to yeah. see the doctor, um, and he took a look at uh, my left breast, and without any test or anything, he just said, you have cancer. So he came back and said, you know, we'll do, I'll do anything I can for you. Just let me know. And I remember walking out of there, going to the car, and I sat in the car and called Don and, mm. and said, well, the news isn't great. Mm. All year last year, in my devotions, the theme was, trust me. Mm. He has taught me his faithfulness. Mm. He has been not only with me, but before me in so many situations. I know you've talked a lot about <laughs> trusting God. Has there been a, a Bible verse or a passage? Yeah. I'm going to have to read it here yeah, because of okay. the different version here. Um, it's an amplified version, but it's also my version too, okay? Yeah. It says, we are assured, I am assured, and know that all things cancer work together and are for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. This is his design. It's not mine. It's not one I asked for, but it's his. It's it's incredible the this opportunities that he has yeah. given me. Yeah. One day I went to get my nails done in Decatur and I walked in, and um, there were a couple ladies that I knew started up a conversation. And if you've ever been in a nail salon, everybody hears everything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had the opportunity to share my experience. The one girl that was sitting over there stopped and said, were you Miss Herman? And I said, yes. <laughs> And she said, you had me in school. And it was like my second year of teaching. I hadn't seen her since she moved away. And uh, I, I just feel like God said, plant this seed. If I didn't have this cancer, that wouldn't have happened. During my, my chemo days, I just, prayed out loud, Lord, carry me. And I got to school and I parked my car and got out and was walking into my door. I looked over to the left. And I saw two shadows. I look around, see if anybody's behind me find out where the other shadow's coming from. Didn't see anyone. The one shadow is me with my hat on. And then there's just another shadow. And right there I felt God saying, I've got you this day. I've got you. I'm with you. Just 
said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So what advice would you give to someone in our church family that wants to share their faith but might be afraid or isn't sure how to? Look for opportunities. Take those opportunities. Let God use you. Be willing to be willing. Just remember, God's got your back. Kelly Moore sent me uh, this right here, and it says, God isn't asking you to figure it out. He's asking you to trust that he already has. I know that he's either going to heal me here on earth or in heaven, and I'm okay. Can I have you come forward still? Is that okay? <laughs> and any of your family that wants to come forward with you are certainly welcome to. We appreciate you, Sue, being willing to do that. <laughs> yeah, we can come down here. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Would you just express your appreciation to Sue for being willing to do that this morning? Yeah. Thank you. Also, too, if you see Nicole Dine, she's the one that uh, we have about 30 minutes of video that she had to painstakingly edit down because it was all awesome stuff. And so if you want to see um, the rest of it, you know, um, first of all, thank Nicole Dines who edited it. She did a great job on staff. But also you can go to the book nook and sign up to get a copy of the uh, extended edition, I guess we could say, <laughs> of the Sue Inniger video. And we are asking just for a $5 uh, cover for each one, just it covers material. So, um, Sue, I did... Um, want to give you the mic one more time. If you want, you don't have to. Is there a final thing you want to say? Because I want to pray for you and your family. A final thing you'd want to say to the congregation. Um, no pressure, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I just praise God. He yeah. has been so awesome. Yeah. He's, he's been there with me, yeah. before me. <laughs> I can't imagine going through this without him. Mm. Amen. And I thank him for this journey. Yeah. Amen. And I just want to give him all the praise, all the glory. Mm. It's his. Mm. I just want to be willing to be willing to share my faith with anyone that needs to. Yeah. And Thank you for your prayers. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. One of the things that Sue kept telling me and Nicole through this is, this is not me. I would not normally like to do an interview or be up front. You're, very, you're a very private person, which I respect. But the fact that you're allowing us to do this just goes to the glory of God and how she's allowing God to work in your life through this suffering. So I think the future diagnosis for you is cautiously optimistic. Would that be fair to say? Kind of a mixed mixed. Yeah, diagnosis for the future, but we're still praying and hoping that God will work in your life either way. So, yeah, we do want to pray for Sue. Um, before we do that, though, one thing that Sue mentioned, and I just so appreciate this about her, she's not the only one going through suffering in our church. Uh, I'm going to pray for her for sure, but I'm going to pray for anyone who's suffering. 
And if you are suffering and going through a hard time, it doesn't have to be cancer. It can be financial problems, relational problems, any kind of problem either that you personally are going through or somebody in your life is going through that you want to represent. Would you also just stand right now and represent that prayer request? Because I know in a church our size, we have many people going through suffering. So go ahead and stand right now. Wonderful. Thank you for being honest. And if you're near somebody that's suffering, would you lay a hand on them that is, that's standing beside you? Would you put a hand on them? We want to pray for them. And if you feel led to come forward and pray and lay hands on Sue and Don and Chris, um, you're welcome to come forward right now as well. And then we're going to pray. And if anybody else needs to stand during this time, please feel free to do so. so. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Sue. Thank you for her incredible testimony, Lord. Um, <laughs> Lord, we, uh, we grieve right now with our dear sister and many in this congregation who are suffering. Lord, we cry out, Lord, you've given us the language of lament and psalms, and we ask why. Where we cry out knowing that suffering is very real, that's horrible, that you did not design a world with suffering, Lord, but that it's here because of the fall. And so we cry out, Lord, just asking that you would hear our prayer. And Father, I also pray too that just as we talked about this morning and just as Sue just emphasized so well, Lord, we just give you our suffering. We ask for relief for sure. We ask for healing in Jesus' name in Sue's life and in, in those who are standing. Lord, yet we also ask you that, that Sue has so graciously told us that you would get the glory even in and through our suffering. Lord, it doesn't make it easier, but we know that we have one who suffered. We know that Jesus Christ suffered so that we could be with him in his glory now and for eternity. So I pray that you would give us, Lord, just that incredible Jesus-centered, cross-centered perspective. Lord, I pray for everyone who has stood today. May they feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit right now deep within their souls. May they know that you are with them, that you will never leave them nor forsake them. And may we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love them, who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, would you stand with us for this last song and let's sing the song out together in worship. When peace like a
let's go to verse 3. Oh, my sin. screen real quick. Romans 8, 28 together. You guys probably know it by memory too, I'm sure. I'll just start saying it. We'll say it together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. May we not just know that, but may we really know it. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of the day.